On October 14th, 1947, a B-29 bomber took off from a landing strip in Southern California and attached to the belly of that bomber was the Bell X-1 aircraft. Now, the reason why the Bell X-1 aircraft is so significant is because up until that moment in time, it was believed that Mach 1, uh, the speed of sound, the sound barrier was unbreakable. And at 29,000 feet, that bomber dropped the Bell X-1. It fired its engines and it soared up to 43,000 feet and went to 500, 600, 700 miles an hour. And at 0.965, at 0.965 Mach, the control panels on the Bell X-1 started to go crazy. At 0.995 Mach, the pilot, Chuck Yeager, his vision started to get blurry and he thought that he was going to lose his lunch. And just when they thought that the plane was going to implode, there was a sonic boom. At 700 and 61 miles an hour, the Bell X-1 broke the sound barrier. And all of that air pressure that was pushing against the nose of the plane now moved to the back of the plane. The plane was traveling faster than the sound waves that it was producing. The Bell X-1 reached 1.07 Mach. It was a breakthrough. A breakthrough happens when there is pressure pushing against an object in forward motion until the movement of that progressing object breaks the tension and there is peace. Now, this is just my opinion, but maybe you can relate to this in, in your own life or, or in our nation right now that we might feel like we are living at 0.965 Mach. The control panels that they used to guide us have, have gone haywire. Or, or maybe you feel like you're living at 0.995 Mach, where, where everything gets a little blurry, but you're almost to that breakthrough point. And so the question that, that I want us to, to wrestle with a little bit here today is, is really a question about that forward motion, that forward movement of the early church, that, that forward motion of this Jesus movement, and how, how did this Jesus movement break through? I mean, there is, there is plenty of pressure and tension, as we're going to see in a minute. There was, there was pressure, there was people pushing back against this Jesus movement, and so how did it actually take off? And, and not, just, not just take off, but, but if you think about it, that, that today, nearly one-third of the entire Earth's population believes somehow that, that Jesus was God, that he died and rose from the dead. We often don't think about that as, as church folk, but, but really, nearly a third of the entire Earth's population. I mean... How did the name of Jesus even get out of the first century? All, all odds were against the early church. How, how did it grow? How did this early Jesus movement grow? Well, if I could summarize it, and, and maybe 
summarize this, this entire message today is that I would say the, that the early church grew because of their obedience to God and their boldness before men. And, and I say men because it was typically men who were pushing against applying pressure to this early Jesus movement. But the church stuck to their mission. They, they, they stuck to their forward progression. They stuck to their mission, not, not to buildings or, or to programs or to political campaigns, but the church started as a totally outward focused movement to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. But you know what happened over time? The church got buildings. The church got political clout. The church got organized, which, which of course the church had to get organized. But what happened over time is that this outward focused movement began to turn inwards. And, and that, that forward progression began to idle. And maybe even sometimes throughout history, it began to reverse. What had happened over time is that the church became disobedient to God and timid before men. Martin Luther King Jr. said in his uh, letter, uh, from a jail in Birmingham, Alabama, which, which I believe that this is one of the, the great modern-day epistles, one of the great modern-day letters to the church. And I'm going to use it because I think that he greatly illustrates what it looks like to be obedient to God and bold before men. Martin Luther King Jr. Sp- spoke of boldness. And over the last couple of weeks, I've, I've seen a lot of people talking about uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And, and how peaceful he was. And, and sure, he was very peaceful. Peaceful protesting, nonviolent resistance was the foundation of his part in the civil rights movement. But that does not mean that he was timid. I mean, least we forget that, that he too was arrested. He too was beaten. And eventually he was assassinated because... He was thought to be so radical. And so today I want to share with you some of the words that he wrote in a jail cell in Birmingham, Alabama. And he said this to the church back in the day, but, but it applies and it's so poignant for us today as well. Dr. King said, there was a time when the church was very powerful in the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. The, the, the church wasn't just a thermometer. It, it just didn't record the environment around it and, and respond to that. But no, it was a thermostat. It, it set the temperature. It set the environment around it. That the church, the church was bold. That the early church wasn't a thermometer. It was a thermostat. And it all began with a prayer. And, and you can fact check me on this, or, or if you're thinking, well, well, what good does prayer really do, especially in a, in a time like this in our nation's history? Well, let me take you 
to the very first prayer of the very first church. But before I do that, I need to give you just a little bit of a backstory. There was these two guys, Peter and John, and Peter and John, they were like the next best thing to Jesus. I mean, they had walked with Jesus, they had talked with Jesus, they had seen Jesus resurrected from the dead. They're as real as real can get. And so one day, Peter and John are walking through the streets of Jerusalem, and they see this guy who's sitting out on the street, and he uh, has been unable to walk since birth, and he's begging for money, because that's what you did. If you were disabled in the first century, the only way that you had to survive was to beg for money. And so they approach this man, and he asks them for money, and Peter and John say, look, we don't have any money, but, but we have something else. We have something better. We can give you Jesus, which is crazy, I know, but they pray over the man, and all of a sudden, he is able to stand up and walk. And this guy, this guy then follows Peter and John into the temple, a place where maybe he has never been in in his entire life before. He follows Peter and John into the temple rejoicing. And this created some gossip. And some tension began to grow. Because here's a man who sat outside of the temple his entire life begging just to get by. And now he walks right in to the temple gates and there's a buzz that happens in the crowd. You see, it was one thing for Peter and John to be preaching outside the temple, to be teaching and and healing and all of that and, and the crowds that they had gathered there. But now they had brought it home. That, that now there's, there's a scene and Peter can't help himself. So he starts to preach a sermon right then and there in the temple. And while Peter is preaching about the resurrection of Jesus, which was this blasphemous idea at the time, it says that the religious leaders took them into custody. They, they threw them in jail for the night. And they said, look, you can't come in here teaching about this rogue rabbi who rose from the dead. We, we can't have that. The religious leaders of the time knew that there was, there was a problem. There was some tension. And, and the problem started because there was this guy who was healed and everybody had seen it. Nobody can deny that this miracle had happened and that it had happened in Jesus's name. Everyone was an eyewitness to the fact that this man whom they passed by day after day was now healed. But still, they throw Peter and John in the jail cell for the night. And then the next morning, the religious leaders bring out Peter and John out of prison and they ask them, okay, straight talk. How is this whole healing thing happening? Peter says, well, I'm so glad that you asked. And then he goes off into another sermon right then and there about how Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then here's how, here's how Peter concludes his sermon. This is just so powerful, so bold. Watch this. This is the end of his sermon from Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Salvation can be found in no one else. He's talking about Jesus. 
Throughout the whole world, no other name has been given among humans through which we must be saved. The council was caught by surprise by the confidence with which Peter and John spoke. After all, they understood that these apostles were uneducated and inexperienced. They also recognized that they had been followers of Jesus. And then it says that the religious leaders had, had nothing to say back. They, they had no rebuttal, nothing to say in response to Peter and John except Shh, stop talking about this Jesus guy. Keep this whole Jesus thing quiet. It says that they demanded Peter and John to stop talking and speaking and teaching in Jesus' name. Don't, don't talk about Jesus. Don't talk about the resurrection. Don't blame us for crucifying Jesus. And if you do that, look, we'll, we'll let you go. We'll release you. But Peter and John, they, they, they can't stop. And they say, look, do with us what you will, but we're going to keep speaking about Jesus. And now the religious leaders, they, they don't really know what to do. Their hands are tied because they see a man who has been crippled from, uh, from birth and he's now healed. And there's a whole crowd of people who are watching this. What's going to happen next? What do, what do we do and so they decide to release Peter and John with, with a stern warning, don't talk about Jesus anymore or else. Look, we'll let you go, but you got to shut up. And so Peter and John, they're released. They go back home where all the other disciples, the, all the other Jesus followers are. And it says this, verse 23. It says, after their release... Peter and John returned to the brothers and sisters and reported everything the chief priest and elders had said. They listened then. Then what happened? Then they, they encouraged Peter and John to proceed with caution. Then they, they hired armed guards for Peter and John. Then, then they told them to, to tone down this whole resurrection spiel. No, no. It says, then... They prayed. And, and look at this. This is, this is the first prayer of the first church. It says, then, then they lifted their voices in unison to God. Master, you are the one who created the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. Master, you made. Before we, before we ask for anything, God, we just want to remind you that we know who we are addressing in this prayer. We want to remind ourselves who we are addressing in this prayer, that you are master and there is nothing out of your control. Master, you made everything. They go on and they say, you, God, are the one who spoke by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor, David, your servant. Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? They're quoting an ancient psalm here. The kings of the earth took their stand and rulers gathered together as one against the Lord and against his Christ. Indeed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and Israelites did gather in this city against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. 
They did what your power and plan had already determined would happen. God, this is, this is all part of your divine plan. And then look, look at what they pray for next. This is the part where they, they begin asking God from something. That's usually how our prayers start, but, but now they begin asking God for something. They said, now, Lord, take note of their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with complete confidence. Or, or maybe, maybe another way that we could say that is, enable your servants to speak with boldness. Yeah, that's it, boldness. But it's, it's got me thinking, hold, hold on here. Is that how my prayer would go? Because wasn't it, wasn't it boldness that, that got them into this mess from the start? Wasn't it, wasn't it boldness that, that got them thrown into jail? And here they are asking for boldness. I mean, I, I think that they've been pretty bold already, but, but they still pray for boldness. Now, Lord, take, take note of their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with boldness. They go on, verse, verse 30. It says, stretch out your hand to bring healing and enable signs and wonders to be performed through the name of Jesus, your holy servant. After they prayed, the place where they were gathered was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking God's word with confidence, with, with boldness. They pray a bold prayer, not for their own comfort, not for their own safety, not for their own security or prosperity, but a bold prayer not to play it safe. They pray for the boldness of faith to keep following after their dreams, to keep following after God's dream. How often, come on, how, how often do you pray for boldness? Have you ever prayed for boldness? When, when was the last time you asked God to give you boldness to speak, to proclaim God's good news, a, a prayer to, to boldly represent Jesus in your community? in the marketplace, in, in your family. Again, hear these words from Dr. King that he wrote on pieces of napkin while he sat in a jail cell in Birmingham, Alabama. And, and I, think, I think this is a prayer. This is what the church needs to be praying about today. Dr. King said, I must confess that over the past few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate, who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action, who paternalistically believes he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by a mythical concept of time and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season. 
shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. Man, that cuts deep. I mean, that, that hits me. But that's exactly what this is all about. That, that boldness is, is what is missing. Boldness is what the church is missing. Boldness is exactly what we need to be praying for. The very thing that, that the first church prayed for, we too must pray for, to speak boldly the word of God, proclaim the good news that is for all people. And silence, silence is a deafening sound. Inaction is action. Indecision is a decision. Delayed obedience is disobedience to God. And timidity before men is unfaithfulness to God. Have you ever asked? Have you ever asked how the first century church made it to the 21st century? How, how it made it here today? How, the, how is it that the early church is still alive in, in some form or fashion today? I believe it's, it's because they prayed for boldness. They prayed for boldness on that day and they didn't let up. We don't even, we don't even think to pray for that sometimes. And church, look, we're at that 9.65 or .995 moment where, where we feel the pressure, we feel the resistance, we, we feel the tension pushing back against us, but we cannot be afraid of the tension because it's the tension that will lead us to a breakthrough or, or will we feel the tension and will we pull back on the throttle and idle into cruise? But you can only be on cruise control for so long, and I fear that our time is running short. We're confronted with the urgency of now. Tomorrow is today, as Dr. King says. We cannot say tomorrow. Tomorrow, some, sometime in the future, there will be racial equality. Uh, uh, tomorrow, some time later on, we can no longer delay our obedience to God. Today, we must demand the equality and equity of all persons to advance the kingdom of God. Today, we need to speak with boldness the word of God, boldness about the good news of Jesus Christ for all the world, for all people, and boldly speak up against anything that denies that foundational truth. And, and ask God for the very same thing that those first followers of Jesus asked for. They said, enable us to speak boldly. And God, stretch out your hand to bring healing and miracles through Jesus' name. So I'm going to invite you to, to pray. That, that first century, first church, first prayer with me today. 
that, that wherever you are, that, that you, would, you would pray this out loud. How does it feel to pray for boldness? And so the words should be up on the screen. Would you pray with me? Master, enable your servants to speak your word with boldness. Stretch out your hand to bring healing and enable signs and wonders to be performed through the name of Jesus, your holy servant. Amen. I feel a little weird praying for boldness, praying, praying a bold prayer for all of that. It should. That's a good thing. So why don't we pray it together one more time? Pray with me. Master, enable your servants to speak your word with boldness. Stretch out your hand to bring healing and enable signs and wonders to be performed through the name of Jesus, your holy servant. God, that is our prayer. That you would give us the power to speak boldly to share your good news with the world with complete confidence. And Lord, that you would stretch out your hand, bring healing to our lives, to our nation, to our world, that you would do signs and wonders and miracles through your church. In Jesus' name, pray all of this in his powerful name. Amen.